Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the FN News Show. My name is Cal Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Jackson, we're officially through, bud. Regular season in the books. We are down to 14 teams vying for that Lombardi trophy. What a time. What a wonderful time of year. Super wild card weekend, Kale. If you weren't aware, I thought the NFL was only going to stick with that term when they expanded the playoffs two years ago, but it appears that super wild card weekend is here to stay. And what a weekend it is going to be Saturday through Monday. So much football, but doesn't mean the other 18 teams that miss the playoffs don't have things going on in their organizations too. So we're going to have a bit of a split show today. Some coach firings and other news with non-playoff teams up front. Then we shift gears and get into playoff mode. I'm ecstatic. Let's do it. Yeah, first off, I don't know how long the NFL can keep up the name Black Monday. Like, like you said, works for one year when it's like, oh, yeah, this is the difference between last year and this year. Six versus seven. Yeah, how about we think of another adjective besides super, too, since we already have the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Yeah. Mega wild card weekend? No, let's let's just go to wild card weekend because at some point it's the standard. But yes, Jackson, as you alluded to, week 18 is that time of year where, you know, 24 hours after your season is officially over. You've played your last week 18 game. You're officially looking at draft prospects and free agents. It's a little day called Black Monday. It's a big, big trimming the fat day, the time where you kind of exercise your demons, you cleanse yourself of the coaches, of the general managers, of the OCs that you're looking to get rid of and looking to move on from. We start nowhere else but Arizona. They've got a lot to trim off their plate. Let's start firing a cliff Kingsbury. Kingsbury fired after four seasons, a 28-37-1 record. Never a great, great offensive team. Fascinating. Fascinating team because you really dump in a ton of resources to this offense. You bring DeAndre Hopkins. You bring in multiple draft picks. They're trading first-rounders for Hollywood Brown. And you're really never able to crack top 10 status in offensive passing DVOA this year. Their four-win season is their worst by uh, offensive DVOA yet. The more baffling thing is that Kingsbury, along with general manager Steve Keim, both received six-year extensions back in March, and ostensibly nothing's changed. And now both are gone. Jackson, an odd, odd situation in Arizona. They didn't have to do that, Kale. <laughs> they didn't have to give six-year extensions to these guys. I, I mean, not to be bleak here, but we had an award on a, a yearly NFL awards show uh, that – I've hosted for a couple of years and you joined me last year. And our, one of the awards was the coach that probably should have been fired, but wasn't Cliff Kingsbury won this award after 2020. 
He didn't quite win it last year because his team made the playoffs, but he was still a candidate. This team's never lived up to its expectations, so they really didn't have to do those extensions. That was just self-inflicted error, but I guess the good news if you're Arizona is that money just comes straight out of ownership's pocket, right? Like It's not like that affects the payroll. That's just a, a nice little hit to the old checkbook, and you know, it's not your $80 million Cardinals fans or uh, Cardinals fans hoping that the team has money to allocate toward players. Like That still exists. Furthermore, Two years, $34 million remaining on DeAndre Hopkins' contract. Reports are out that he is likely going to be traded, so that could be more money coming off the books. Now, does that leave your team devoid of a great talent in DeAndre Hopkins with Kyler Murray likely to miss at least a little bit of next season? Yeah, yeah, I'd say next season outlook is looking a little bit bleak, but it is a cleansing. Uh, reports also out that Kyler Murray will have a say in who his next head coach is. Very interesting. It's been a very interesting year for Kyler Murray in terms of the narrative surrounding him and not only what he means to this organization, but how much trust they have in him. Because obviously you have a lot of trust in a guy if you want him to be helping you pick your head coach, but maybe you don't have as much trust in a guy if you insert a homework clause into his contract, uh, which is pretty much the start of when a lot of this went wrong for the Cardinals. Not many positive stories since. So it's going to be really just a fascinating offseason to follow this team. Like I said, outlook for 2023, not looking so good, but it's really more so about setting yourself up for the future and who they hire is, you know, step A and figuring out who that, what that future ends up looking like. Yeah, the extensions to me, uh, the way I had described it, always felt like it's, uh, it's parents, uh, you know, looking to save their marriage by – taking the family on a trip to Disney uh, before really just handing over the papers and, and digging into the divorce. It's a very Tobias Funke, like, doesn't work for many, but it may work for us kind of thing. Uh, yeah, this is one of the least attractive jobs in the NFL right now because uh, just so much has gone on within this organization – I don't hear anything about the Cardinals uh, beyond the J.J. Watt retirement tour. It's never usually a good thing when the Arizona Cardinals are newsworthy, at least not in recent months. Uh, and that doesn't even get into the hard knocks thing, which is that this this dysfunction has been on display for all to see for many weeks now. No, it does not get into the hard knocks thing, Jackson. That is a very good point. And yeah, I really don't know where Cliff goes from here, what his next situation is. We'll wait to see it all play out, but the clock's officially ticking because this Kyler Murray extension is in effect and it will be <laughs> about like what? 50 mil a year, like 48 mil a year. Like it is, it is one of the most lucrative, quarterback contracts in the NFL and you have a roster where you're looking to purge DeAndre Hopkins, your tailor-made coach for Kyler Murray did not work out. And the GM constantly pumping draft picks and wide receivers and tight ends into this offense between Hopkins, Ertz, Hollywood Brown. Uh, he was also just fired. So it's open slate, and you're and you're sitting behind a guy who needed a call of duty clause in his contract. 
Well, I mean, who's to say he can't, you know, make the most of that and hire somebody who's really good at Call of Duty to be his new head coach. So galaxy brain thinking there. Uh, you're right, though, Kale. Kyler Murray can't get out of this contract until after the 2027 season. So you know that he's almost definitely missing time at the start of next season unless he has regenerative powers. Uh, but four more seasons after that, he is locked in, uh, the cheapest of which is for $43 million against the cap. Uh, there's a $51 million season and there's a $55 million season. Uh, and then if he's still, you know, playing really well at the end of that, they can keep him in 2028 for the low, low price of $46 million. But it's a, it's a thick contract. It is a, uh, we believe in you type of deal. And we're just going to have to see how much he earns that money and how much the Cardinals are able to maximize the talent around him with the remaining cap space they do have. Moving on down to Houston, Texans fire Lovey Smith after a 3-13-1 season. It's the second straight offseason now where the Texans have fired their head coach. Finished 28th in DVOA last year, 31st this year. They ended on a pretty strong note. Surprisingly, though, they have that big win over the Indianapolis Colts. Down the stretch, they're really starting to play. They were really starting to play some teams tough. They took Kansas City to overtime. They played Dallas close. Uh, they beat the Titans outright. Shellacking by the Jags in there. But it was a really interesting develop toward the end of this where Lovey Smith was getting the most out of his guys. Uh, it, the win robbed Houston of that number one overall pick on a team that is looking to draft its next quarterback. Jackson, a Houston, I understand that they have released themselves of the burden of Deshaun Watson, which marks a new era for the team. But I don't know who's going to do a better job right now than Lovey Smith. Well, I'll, I'll I'll give some uh, props here to um, a person I really respect, Bamani Jones, who went on CNN yesterday and I think laid it out as well as anyone can. So uh, not to borrow all of his talking points here, but I think it's it's worth reiterating a lot of what he ended up saying, which was that this team, like no self-respecting coach is, you know, really looking at this Houston Texans team and having any assurance that this is going to be a job that they can take and, and hold. And it's not to say that David Culley last year and Lovey Smith aren't self-respecting people. They're very well respected, but you know, these are two coaches that were in their sixties and probably weren't getting other opportunities to be head coaches anytime soon. And obviously head coach money is a significant more amount of money than the, what they were getting in their current situations. So Houston is going to have to answer and already has been forced to answer for hiring two black coaches in consecutive off seasons when it really doesn't seem like there was anything more or less that they could have done to keep the team from being towards the bottom of the NFL. Cause that was what the talent on the roster dictated uh, and credit yesterday to uh, DJ Bienemy, uh, who I believe is the head Texans reporter for ESPN for asking Nick Casario, why should a black coach feel confident in taking this job and Nick Casario just kind of deflects the questions as it's not about race. 
Uh, each coach has their own comfort level. I'm going to be honest. And if somebody wants to fire me, that's, you know, that's their prerogative, but I'm just doing my job. Uh, I, I can't really imagine, you know, beyond black coaches, like what, what coach is going to see this situation in Houston and think, oh, wow, I can step in here and really do my job uninterrupted and have the pieces around me that I need to make this thing work. Yeah, it was a pretty big non-answer by Casario there. Uh, good on good on whoever uh, was the reporter who confronted Casario on that question. Jackson, we're down to four teams now. Yes. No, sorry, five head coaching vacancies. Cardinals have yet to announce who they're planning on interviewing for the job. However, we do have some names. Courtesy of CBS Sports for doing the big roundup. But we've got a list of names that kind of have, uh, you know, er every coach's uh, current or every team's current interviewing process for coaches. There's a lot of overlapping names in here. Of course, have Ben Johnson, the Lions offensive coordinator who has really endeared himself uh, not only to the Lions, but the rest of America following uh, Week 18 Sunday Night Football win over the Green Bay Packers. You have Raheem Mostert, or sorry, uh, D'Amico Ryans. Uh, don't know why I said Raheem. Oh, Raheem Morris, that's why. Uh, D'Amico Ryans, 49ers defensive coordinator, appears on multiple of these lists. Denver Broncos head coach, Houston Texans head coach. We also have a hero Avero, the Broncos defensive coordinator, interviewing for multiple jobs. Then, of course, we've got the wild cards in there. Sean Payton, former Saints head coach, interviewing for roles with the Broncos. There's going to be some heavy trade implications with that. And apparently, Saints are looking for at least a first and then some. Then we've got Jim Harbaugh current Michigan head coach. While most reports are saying Harbaugh will return to Michigan, still interviewing for that Denver job. There's a lot of arrows pointing to him at some point leaving college football. And the original report about Harbaugh coming back to Michigan broke well before a separate report of Harbaugh potentially facing Pretty big NCAA violations for non-compliance on an investigation where he bought a freshman recruit a diner burger. Not like any, like, he's not taking him to Ruth's Chris or Peter Luger's. He's buying him, he's buying him a burger at the Brown Jug, Jackson. Uh, yeah, he can't do that. <laughs> yeah, he can't spend six bucks on a burger named after your dad. Uh well, Jax, with those names in mind, are there any particular that as we get into this lengthy process that stand out to you at all? I've got three. Three that I would be surprised if they don't end up head coaches next year. And if they don't, I think it's going to be more on them not feeling the right fit, more so than them not being desirable because you look at these lists and their names are sprinkled everywhere. Uh, D'Amico Ryans, I think, is the number one coach that I would want to hire right now. I get that the push has been towards offense the past few seasons, but 
just everything that the Niners have accomplished with their defense the past few years, the way that he's able to not only maximize stars that exist within the organization, but getting more out of the secondary, dealing with an injured secondary for most of the year and still getting production, uh, developing young guys like Talanoa Hufanga, who's probably the number one safety in the league this year and will be first team all pro. Um, I just think he's getting a job unless he really doesn't like any of the opportunities that are available. Uh, and then the offensive coaches, I have my eyes on younger guys, uh, Ben Johnson, Detroit offensive coordinator, and uh, Shane Steichen, Philadelphia offensive coordinator. I've been thinking Shane Steichen was at the top of the offensive coach board for the entire season ever since the Panthers fired Matt Rule. And the way Johnson has gotten the most out of Jared Goff in Detroit and found ways to maximize both the running game and the passing game with the talent they have there. I think those guys are top candidates who can get jobs if they want them this off season. I'm a big Johnson guy. It would be really cool to see him lead a team because of the creativity and the, because of the way that he has been able to really make a Jared Goff offense work a, a, you know, with not exactly household names in the receiving core, but a bunch of excellent, excellent players in Amara St. Brown, Jameson Williams, DJ Shark, Josh Reynolds, uh, what they've been able to get out of the tight end room post TJ Hawkinson has been really impressive. Uh, I'd also love him to stay because now we have figured out that the Lions are pretty good uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, so I'd like to see one more year. Uh, the same way the Chiefs keep holding on to, uh, you know, Eric Bienem, uh, where he interviews for jobs, but at the end of the day, he's cooking with the best of them. Uh, that hero. Why not, though, Kale? Why is Eric Bienem not on any of these lists? Like, I get that they're still alive, but I haven't heard any buzz about Eric Bienem being a head coach candidate this offseason. What else does Eric Bienem have to do? I mean, you saw what the Chiefs offense was able to accomplish with the loss of Tyreek Hill this year. Patrick Mahomes still lapping the league in DYAR, throwing, being the only 5,000-yard passer. Travis Kelsey's coming close to breaking his own tight end receiving records. I get that those two guys are incredible talents who might be able to do that with other people at offensive coordinator, but come on. I mean, Eric Bieniemy deserves a head coaching job at this juncture, and I don't think it's a hot debate. I think he can be added to that list of mine for like, Four guys, and if we only have four vacancies, I'd like to see those four guys take the reins. I think this is probably the best year for enemy to receive the buzz, uh, if only because I think you could ignorantly do this, but I think you could write off in previous years and say, like, oh, it's just the talent. When you've got, like, F it Tyreek down there somewhere mentality, uh, with Mahomes and you're doing so much stuff out of structure than how much of the structure set by the head co- or the offensive coordinator and the really matters. That being said, now we are in an, we are in a post Tyreek era. We are in a reality where Mahomes is slinging it to Juju Smith Schuster and Marquez Valdez Scantling. We're getting three tight ends involved. We're on like 13 personnel now uh, for the chiefs. Like we're doing some like, Way more fun, way more creative stuff. And you still have the best, like, best quarterback in football. You still have the best tight end in the last, you know, 
probably decade since peak Gronk. But now, like now, you look like a real offense with real relatable weapons. Like, like it's literally just being relatable. Like it's it's just like okay, you've got like a you got a an offensive roster a little more akin to us. I think this should, in theory, give uh, Bianami more praise. We've got well, that's what they've done right is they've built an offense that isn't not not like they were always dependent on the home run ball, but they they hit a lot of home runs and that was how they scored a lot of points in Patrick Mahomes first two breakout years 2018 and 2019 this year they just hit singles and doubles and they do it efficiently and they do it consistently uh, and they do it really without being you know a massive turnover team I get that Mahomes is you know around the top five in interceptions but he's not doing it at an outrageous rate uh, this team takes care of business in the red zone They've always been one of the more creative red zone offenses, and that's been no different this year. And I get that people will say that Andy Reid is still the play caller, but when you've been around an Andy Reid for that long, that's the best preparation you're ever going to get to be a first-time play caller in this league. Absolutely. Jackson? Excuse me. Uh, it's not just head coaches that lost their job. There are some coordinators as well, most recent of which, Commander's OC, Scott Turner. Ron Rivera revealed in a statement that he had spoken to Turner and had announced that the team would go separate ways. There's yet to be any sort of announcement on Rivera's future. There was some speculation on that leading into the last few weeks of the season. Turner and Rivera had been together for quite some time now. Uh, they'd spent a lot of time in Carolina. Most of Turner's tenure there as a uh, quarterback's coach before briefly taking over as an interim OC. After that season, Turner then followed Rivera to the commanders to coach their offense. That, like As a quarterback-centric guy, mixed results. Eight different quarterbacks started games in three years for the commanders uh we talk about a revolving door for some teams that is a that is a special special level of turnover uh you know going from the latest of uh you know he came in with uh uh with the late uh Dwayne Haskins uh as his starting guy and then came all the way back around went through multiple veteran retreads traded for Carson Wentz Came back to another rookie in Sam Howell. Uh, quite the lifespan there. Offense can never really get off the ground. Never got higher than 21st in the league in DVOA in his first three seasons. Jackson, it'll be interesting to see where this commander's team goes because it is a team in transition. But we just had it on a given Sunday come out. The commanders drop a trouncing of the Dallas Cowboys, and the offense looks okay. They got a lot of running back depth. They're three deep at receiver in a really meaningful way. Whoever ends up in this role is getting into uh, quite the organization, to say the least, but they'll at least have a pretty good backbone of offensive skill position players. They will. I think this announcement was one of the more surprising, not just in that, 
it was Turner being fired and no announcements regarding Rivera's future, but the fact that Rivera is announcing it himself, that Turner's the one fired, um, you know, not here to speculate, but is, is that just guaranteeing that Ron Rivera stays with Washington? Is there still potentially, uh, you know, a short leash going into next year if he is staying around? It's, it's really interesting to contemplate, especially when you consider that this is a franchise that's largely in limbo right now. Uh, whether it's the owner or GM making decisions on the head coach being fired, you know, right now the owner's more focused on, am I going to keep this team and how many ways am I being sued slash investigated? So really going to be interesting to continue to follow the commanders throughout the off season. We say that every year and it's with good reason. And on the football field, is it going to be, is Sam Howell in contention for the starting job next year? Is he the favorite for the starting job next year? Are they drafting someone? Are they trading for someone? Uh, and in a way, I feel like the commanders are maybe a little bit more of the Tobias Funke team, as you mentioned, Kale, where they've seen teams like Indianapolis, like Cleveland, uh, trot out retread quarterbacks for years. And they've said, hmm, this hasn't seemed to work. Maybe this is going to work for us. Boom, Carson Wentz in the building. Will they continue that ideology? I would hope not, but anything's possible. It's it's so so funny to me that they got Carson Wentz from Indy. Like they watched the product and were like, "Yeah, no, the court, the team known for quarterback play over the last two decades is is unable to fix this guy. But we can almost we sure can. <laughs> They'll certainly be in a position to actually they won't because they were an eight win team. As you say, they'll be in a position to draft a quarterback, probably not in the first round." Commanders are picking 16th overall per tankathon. Maybe they sneak in and snag a uh, a guy in the second round, like a, a an Anthony Richardson type project, or maybe they trade back and do something. It'll be interesting to see. That will certainly be a team to monitor as the offense goes on. Moving on to Chicago. General Manager Ryan Poles, as we said with the Texans, had to address the fact that they got the number one pick. And, it like, this doesn't feel like a team that was number one pick worthy because every time you watch the Bears, it's like you're praising Justin Fields. You're talking about all the cool stuff he's doing at quarterback. The second-year leap, <clears throat> second leap that he's making, you're getting – you know, some good stuff out of guy, defensive guys like Jack Sanborn. Uh, you're getting a lot of good play in there. But now you got number one overall. Polls, Jackson, had you specifically come out and say it would take a lot for us to, to really move on from fields at this point. They are in a fascinating position heading into the 2023 NFL draft officially on the clock. They are on the clock, and they they got bargaining chips, Kale. Um, whether that means trading the pick, whether that means, you know, unlikely, but trading fields is an option that's been floated, and some have said uh, that they should do it. I'm not of that camp, but it's certainly possible. You're not going to be in this position likely again. So what you do with that pick, whether that's just holding on to it and drafting the number one on your board, uh, and they certainly have many areas of the roster that need addressing, whether that's trading the pick to get a King's ransom in return, whatever it ends up being, that decision 
you know, this is, this is a gifted position that they're in, but also a very important one. They have to, you know, make the most out of it. Cause like I said, they're not going to be in this position again, most likely. And you know, worth mentioning Justin Fields, as much as we love the performance this year, you know, second leading quarterback rusher all, all time in a single season was also 34th of 34 in both passing DBOA and passing DYAR. And in fact, he was 34th by a mile, like dead last, not close. You can obviously point to a lot of mitigating circumstances, but despite the improvements that we saw and how much we liked to play on the field and how much we enjoyed watching him progress from the start of the year to the end, he still has a long way to go, particularly when it comes to actually throwing the football, which is in most cases, the principal job description of an NFL quarterback. Jackson, a lot of that to me, like like we saw just how special he was as a rusher. He is? Fourth in rushing DYAR, 11th in rushing DVOA among quarterbacks. That being said, a thing we knew going into the season was just how bad that this received, like, this receiving core was you have investments in your league your league guys outside of darnell mooney who ended up on ir were equinemius st brown byron Ping, uh, pringle dante pettis they get Nikhil harry toward the end of the uh like uh toward the end of the regular season cycle they get chase claypool for a second round pick Ugh. really was not able to do a ton for this team, or was at least a bandage on a bullet wound for this Bears passing attack. I have to imagine that you watch some of the Bears passing, and some of it has to fall on mitigating circumstances around it. It's the reason why Fields is able to rush so much. It was the reason why Fields came a couple yards shy of resetting the quarterback rushing record set by Lamar Jackson. Like, we don't have a fantastic offensive line. When you don't have receivers to throw to, you got to do it with your legs. And I respect the improvisation. I just wonder how many, like, how much more they need to get going between, you know, Komet was fine. Mooney was fine when healthy. We are getting down to, you know, EQ, uh, you know, EQSB, Chase Claypool, Byron Pringle, Vilas Jones Jr., who was up and down a lot because they drafted a 25-year-old wide receiver. Uh, it's it's a weird, it's a weird sort of team. And I hope they I hope they stick with Fields. Personally, I was a Fields to the Patriots believer when they were in that quarterback market. I just wonder, uh, I wonder how much is going to be focused on helping him out than uh than working on development. That is being said, that being said, I think this is about the best possible situation you could be in for the bears because at the worst, they trade down one and keep going like jumping in front of Houston to make sure that Houston gets their guy. is going to be a fascinating exercise because you could just keep going. Like you could keep fielding trades and see how much you can accrue. They are in, the driver's seat of the 2023 draft. And that's kind of what I'm saying is they need it. And look, you pointed to all the mitigating circumstances and that's very valid, but at some point the results do also speak for themselves. And I'm not blaming Justin Fields for it fully, but when you are the least efficient passing offense in the league 
And when you did close the season on a 10 game losing streak, which felt like a lot of wins in there, right? Cause they were coming close and they were improving their draft position, but wins and losses still matter. And they still lost 10 in a row. Like I, I felt all the positive spin, but by the end I was like, boy, wouldn't you like to win at least one of these? Of course the silver. No, you wouldn't because you wouldn't have the number one pick. I get, it. I get it. But you want like, this is a bad, bad football team. They have so many areas to address. Maybe they need to trade that number one pick because you need a receiver. You need offensive line help. You need defensive line help. You need secondary help. Like this is, I get that you're excited about some of the pieces you do have, but you're still among the league leaders in missing pieces that you don't have. So use the cap space, trade the pick, get all the assets you can because you have more things to fix than maybe anyone else. I mean, they were already trying to suck when they, you know, trade Robert Smith, Roquan, uh, Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. Uh, uh, like, I don't know. I think it was best possible circumstance. I get what you're saying about when is going to be good over like the lack of production, but at some point you got to respect that this is best possible case where you're seeing genuine improvement out of your quarterback. You're seeing like really, really positive flashes and you're losing games on top of it, but you're playing those games very close. Like, you could win those games if you wanted to, but you didn't want to win them because you wanted to get this kind of positioning in the 2023 draft. Respectfully, I might slightly disagree just because they are, like, in positions to win these games and Fields is throwing game-losing interceptions against Atlanta or, you know, they're giving up game-winning drives and missing game-winning extra points against Detroit earlier in the season. Like, you don't want to get used to losing. You know, I, I agree that, this season worked out pretty well at the end, but I don't want to see them, you know, losing games in this fashion again next year. I want them to be, you know, winning some of these close games against bad teams late, and hopefully they can bring in the necessary pieces to do so. Wise man from Philadelphia once said, trust the process, Jackson. I hope you do the same. Moving on to Indianapolis. We got GM Chris Ballard addressing media after a fascinating season. I'm going back through 2020 season prediction stuff to, you know, pull some highlights for the real or like try and, you know, do some reverse freezing cold takes exposed. Speaking of freezing cold takes exposed, a lot of us, our headliner for the 2022 season preview article at football outsiders was staff. It was something along the lines of staff as faith in Matt Ryan and Colts. Uh, most of I think it was actually not plurality, but majority of staff picks ran with Indianapolis to exceed their uh, their season uh, their preseason predictions. Ballard had to address the media and just say, uh, "Yeah, uh, sorry, we let you down. Uh, we absolutely let you down. And here's how in the future we're not going to let you down." Epic fails of 2022. Indianapolis Colts edition. This was a uh, a multi-sided, fascinating press conference. He had to go in so many different directions with it. First, he had to take accountability, say, uh, I failed this season. This is what I did. I failed. Then he has to admit that their patchwork, no full-time, you know, replacement year-to-year QB plan has been a failure. And then he had to go on to say, quote, I'll do whatever it takes uh, in regards to the draft, if we think there's a player that we're driven to get that makes the franchise and the team better, that's what we would do. 
Uh, and then he has to also address the fact that his team hired a head coach that he wasn't really on board with midseason, an interim coach, mind you. But he said, I don't really know how this is going to come together. This is, you know, he told Jim Irsay that this is a very uniquely difficult situation to put a coach in. Uh, but now he's got to treat that coach as a candidate for the full-time head coaching job. That coach has said, you know, I want this job. I think I'm in, you know, good stead to earn this job. Uh, and meanwhile, they were the dead last team in overall DVOA from start to finish. They were at negative 33.7 when Frank Reich gets fired, which is still dead last. But over weeks 10 to 18 with Jeff Saturday, they still dropped to 39.5%. So this is like, this is Hindenburg type stuff where the Colts are just as bad as it gets. And the record doesn't necessarily indicate there's three teams with worse records, but by our metrics, they were the worst roster, worst team, and worst put together in the league at the end of the season. And if we're talking about teams that have no plan at quarterback, they are number one on that list. No plan, yeah, yeah. and who knows how they're going to use this draft pick, but they they got to do something. A one on the list of teams that need a quarterback. Uh, I, I believe it was Mike Denier on our site who had written up the uh, – Absolute collapse of the three-pronged quarterback attack. Of- now shout out Vince Verhey. That was Vince. Vince, yeah, sorry. Thank you for the correction. But between uh, Ellinger, Foles, and Ryan himself, tough rot. They also had some additional things of like Shaq Leonard had three different injuries that eventually shut him down. Uh, Jonathan Taylor constantly banged up. Uh, full offensive line turnover is a very underrated a piece of that they also continue to just have zero uh receiving weapons i'd argue probably might be slightly worse than chicago's i think that's just because of a lack of name notoriety michael Uh, Pittman's better than anyone chicago has but other than that they're duking it out pound for pound yeah Uh, it's like alec pierce not a household name and not too bad uh let's continue it gets weird yeah let's continue on though uh Ballard does say he'll do whatever it takes. If there's a player we're driven to get that makes the franchise and the team better, that's what we would do. Sure, yeah, you get the good, you get the good players. You avoid and you you know avoid slash cut the bad ones. Great game yeah. plan. <laughs> you Let's you say the stopgap thing isn't working. We all knew that, but at least you're finally willing to admit it. Let's move on. A fascinating scenario is brewing. In Los Angeles, as Sean McVay moles retirement, or just at least is stepping away. Uh, Jordan Rodriguez, the athletic, had a fascinating piece about the inner psyche of McVay following uh, a season of descent from the top of the mountain after winning a Super Bowl in 2022. Uh, a big, big step back this year. Talking about it's not really a burnout thing. It's not really a, uh, you know, spend more time with the family thing. He's had an exhausting year uh, with some additional family stuff. Rodriguez brings up his uh, wife. Uh, his, his wife is uh, native to Ukraine uh, and cites the war, said some additional things like the loss of his grandfather but while the decision hasn't been made yet, Jackson, he's actively telling his staff uh, there are no restrictions 
when it comes to uh, interviewing for other jobs or pursuing other work. Uh, he's pretty much given the organization the green light to look elsewhere this offseason, given the indecision. One person who's already taken up that mantle, Rams offensive coordinator Liam Cohn, announced that he will be returning to Kentucky. The news broke, Jackson, almost immediately following the month, the uh, the Thursday night football Baker Mayfield win on Amazon. Uh, Cohen had previously coached with Kentucky in 2020, transitioned from quarterback to uh, coach to accepting the job at Kentucky to be their OC and quarterbacks coach, came back for the Rams job in February. Now, accepted the job mid-season. What do you make of the whole McVay situation right now? I mean, we already had a little bit of a discussion about just the future of the Rams, but it, it really seems like it snuck up on us in that we were having the conversation last offseason about whether or not Sean McVay might step away at the top of the heap. Uh, and now – Given the, way the, given the way the season unfolded, it seemed pretty unlikely, I think, that he would want to go out like this. But just in the past week or so, there's really been this growing sense among insiders, among people with sources close to Sean McVay or just people who know Sean McVay and are maybe reading the tea leaves that this really might happen. And uh, it would be a fascinating coaching vacancy, would be a fascinating team to just follow next offseason or this offseason because for them it is the offseason uh, because – you have a lot of expensive star talents, some of which might walk away, some of which are looking more likely to stay, some of which you might be encouraged to trade away if your coach is gone and it turns into a multi-year rebuild. And we sort of talked the other day, is it smart to do that? Is it smart to just blow it up entirely? Or because you don't have first round picks, is it smart to just you know, keep the band together a little bit and try to put together at least a competent product on the field for your fans for a couple of years uh, and, you know, start to do work around the margins and then go into the multi-year rebuild. It's really like, I, I know we've had this conversation elsewhere and don't need to like fully pick it up again, but I really don't know what direction the Rams are going to go. And I, I sort of feel like there's going to be less change outside of McVay potentially than people are maybe anticipating. I understand where you're coming from. But if he's telling his whole coaching staff they can interview for jobs elsewhere, and the Rams defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, is on a lot of job lists, as I mentioned, or at least he's at least on multiple. Uh, but reports last year when McVay was mulling retirement uh, coincided with Aaron Donald saying he was thinking about retiring, and he basically said, like, if Sean's back, I'm back. Matt Stafford has specifically said he will return for the season, and he's pretty adamant about that. I think no matter what, he confirmed the reports even amidst the McVay news, which I think is really interesting because, Jackson, I do think they might just say, like, hey, Matt, you want to, like, get a trade or something? I think they might do it with Ramsey, too, because at some point, if you let McVay walk, and, like, if if – you're letting coaches walk. Then McVay announces retirement. Then Donald says, if McVay is gone, I'm gone. 
like you're really left with a, a, an odd roster. And you can see a world where like maybe they ask Stafford if he wants to go to a contender and try and trade for a team. And they get this out of the way before the league year starts. And guys like Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers all become immediately pursued. You try and get into that mix to recoup some draft capital. You move on one of the top five cornerbacks in football. And you just try and like the way they said F them picks to artificially extend the Super Bowl window. I think they can just say not F these players. Cause I think they're honestly doing them a sign of respect uh, by letting them go where they please, uh, or at least seek opportunities elsewhere. The way McVay has done for his coaching staff, mm-hmm. but just expedite this, this rebuild process by really stacking the cupboards really quickly. It's not a it's yeah. not a confirmed thing, but I'd be fascinated to see it happen. Well, see, I wouldn't be surprised if any of that happens, but I sort of have this feeling like, what are you really going to get for you know expensive, not old, but you know aging players like a Matt Stafford, or even if Jalen Ramsey's not aging, he's certainly you know been a little bit up and down with the performance, certainly on the up as the season was ending, but also gave up a lot of yards and touchdowns this year. Um, you know, are you going to get the return that you want for those guys or is it better to just keep them around? You know, I think it is a factor that the Rams have this still shiny new $6 billion football stadium uh, in a very transient football season that doesn't have a long-term loyal fan base. If you're going to trot out a team that's going to go three and 14 next year, you know, what incentive is there for the season ticket holders to keep the tickets, you know, rolling in? So I'm, I'm fascinated to see because I think that's more of a factor than we, you know, maybe are considering in, in whether or not the Rams are going to try and, you know, at least be respectable next year or not. Jackson, it's the it's the Rams, not the not the Bills here. They are in a city where they usually just fill up with opponents anyway. And I get what you're saying. The tickets will sell. SoFi is a destination stadium. I wouldn't worry about like. But do you want it to be 95% opposing fans? You know, like I. There, there was momentum there for a little bit in that, you know, the Rams were certainly more so LA's team than the Chargers. And even if it wasn't a loyal fan base, you know, you'd catch a lot of celebrities in the crowd on any given week. And, you know, there would be at least some enthusiasm for the Rams. Like, do you really just want to become the 2017 Chargers in the soccer stadium where it's 95% opposing fans? I don't, I don't think that's what they want. I don't think that's what, you know, a team like that, that, you know, really spearheaded this LA development brought in the second team to share the stadium with spent billions of dollars. I don't, I don't think that's what Kroenke wants. Jackson, if one LA team can, it can, if it can happen to one LA team, it can happen to you. And I think they have a pro they have a process where if they do decide to tank, it would probably be easier to explain two years of really bottoming out. And getting some guys to bring, you know, jersey sales up and whatever. If you're taking that angle, then like five years of mediocrity and like trying to recover from the fact that you don't have first round picks and doing all this stuff. It'd be very interesting to see. Let's go back to Kojic firings, though. Tennessee Titans, after firing their general manager midseason, they make some heavy cuts. Four assistants, including offensive coordinator Todd Downing. Interesting sort of development for the Titans. They Downing kind of got stuck in limbo where 
Arthur Smith leaves. There's two years of top 10 play under Smith. Downing takes over the job, pretty much tries to run the exact same playbook as Smith without the sort of, you know, intricate knowledge of the system. They go 20th and 21st in their two seasons. One of those comes with A.J. Brown as the star receiver that you're looking to build around the wide receiver. One, you bring in Julio Jones as well. That doesn't quite work. Now you say, let's just not do Julio. Let's not do the A.J. Brown thing. Let's recoup our losses and not pay him and get a pick for him. Let's draft an A.J. Brown lookalike that's a little injury prone. Let's try and sign uh, Robert Woods. And let's see how that works. Spoiler alert, it doesn't work as well. Uh, 21st in DVOA. A fascinating development, Jackson. Interested to see where this team goes because outside of Henry and Tannehill, you're pretty much starting from scratch. It's a new refresh on offensive line. You've got Traylon Burks in the building. You've got Robert Woods signed the long-term deals. But outside of that, you've got like former undrafted free agent and Nick Westbrook Akine. You've got like a Chester Rogers in there supplementing stuff. Like Anthony Ferkser is your lead tight end. Like that's not true, but not else? Anthony Ferk. Who's the tight end? Is it Hayden Hurst? Uh, is it just Oakway another Boonham, tight end? Oakway Boonham and Austin Hooper are both there. Austin Hooper. That's it. It's Austin Hooper was the one I was thinking of. Uh, but a fascinating place for this Titans team to go in a post-downing world, Jackson. Yeah, and and you know I want to highlight that the you know the offensive line firing and the secondary firing as well. It's like we are really cleaning house here. We acknowledge all the places that our team is deficient. We're firing them all. It's it's kind of a pivotal move, I think at least for uh, for Mike Vrabel to be like you know I'm cleaning house. Some of these were my guys, and and really, it's it's my team, and I want to lead them in the direction that I want because you know uh, a losing streak of seven in a row to close out the season and just coughing up a gigantic division lead, while it doesn't necessarily mean that Mike Vrabel's on the hot seat, it certainly raises questions about you know how sustainable is this thing that we've built, how much do we need to rebuild, and you know this team's also looking for a GM now, so there's a lot that's on the table for Tennessee this off season in terms of the direction that they want to take their infrastructure and how that trickles down to the way the roster gets constructed. Because like you said, it's a little bit barren, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, how much of, you know, how many more years can you keep doing the Derrick Henry is our number one, two and three options. You know, how long does it take before, you know, you spend premium assets on bringing in receiving help, premium assets on a long-term quarterback who, you know, you think can develop into one of the best in the league instead of just a, you know, consistent B in Ryan Tannehill. Like there's, there's a lot. I think Tennessee's an underrated team where there's a lot of questions to address because we've gotten used to them kind of being this mark, you know, marker of consistency in a bad division. This is them saying, I think, you know, it's time to reassess, reevaluate and blow it up a little bit. Moving on to Cleveland, Browns fire defensive coordinator Joe Woods. Bit of a baffling season by the Cleveland Browns that finishes 29th in defensive rushing DVOA. A outright downgrade from the last season that this team had, 20th in points allowed. And you look at the star power on this roster, Jackson. Miles Garrett, Brand Delpit, Denzel Ward, 
you know, you got some young guys in the mix that you're trying to replenish the draft coverage with, starting with guys like JOK. You've got Jadevi and Clowney on the roster. What happened here? <laughs> A lot. Um, firstly, before I get into that, uh, I see two cents popping off in the YouTube comment section about the Buffalo Bills. Hang in there. We're coming to the Buffalo Bills at the end of the show. And I just wanted to say I love when people hop in our comment section. Keep it coming. Uh, and we will address comments uh, in due time because uh, that is certainly one of our favorite parts of the show. Uh, but getting back to Cleveland for a moment here. Uh, this is maybe not a surprising one, but certainly one where when you think about all the marquee talent that Cleveland has on the defensive side of the ball, when that is like premier top five, you know, edge rusher, depoy candidate year in, year out, Miles Garrett, whether that's, you know, sneaky, like we said, uh, all pro candidate and Grant Delpit at the safety position, like this team has no excuses to be middling to bad on the defensive side of the ball, especially when it comes to stopping the run where they were abysmal all season long, 29th rated run defense per DVOA. You know, this team, this team has to be, if not led by their defense, at least like right in it in terms of the better defenses in the league. And I think this hiring or this firing says, you know, we acknowledge that what we had on the defensive side of the ball this year was not acceptable. Time to time to like really take all the talent we have and whip it into shape and be a team that has a scary defense that can, you know, win us games instead of just an okay defense that can keep us in ball games. Last but certainly not least, Falcons defensive coordinator Dean Pease retires at age 73. Jackson, this was his third retirement. Uh, previously retired after a stint with the Ravens, hopped in a little bit more with the Titans for a second go around after a year off. This looks like his final swan song. Uh, there was a larger gap between the end of the Titans and the beginning of the Falcons run. Get two years out of him, not really a ton of improvement, but a two-time Super Bowl champion. Wishing P's the best in his retirement. It'll be interesting to see. I, I don't like defaulting to that, but it'll be very interesting to see where the Falcons go from here. It wasn't quite an improvement, but last year, Jackson, the Falcons were so consistently gashed as a defense that sort of anything felt like an improvement. You got AJ Terrell in the building, or AJ Terrell in the building, got some interesting pieces in there a lot a lot a lot to rebuild but at the moment you just got to give a nice send-off to a uh to a legend in defensive coaching circles oh absolutely i mean at this point you're you know dean P's in the in the quotes he's given about his retirement has said like you know i want to travel i want to enjoy time with my you know grandchildren and and see more of the world and he deserves that right 100%. You know, when you put in 50 years in the football profession including 18 in the NFL, like that's that's your time well spent uh and it's time to go spend that time elsewhere. Uh but it is interesting how that's kind of become the refrain of this episode, right? Kill like most weeks we have a refrain of like, oh this guy got hurt, that really stinks, we feel terrible. This week it's be interesting to see what they do in the future because that's the spot we're at in the season where a lot of teams are staring into the the great wide open, wondering what that future holds for them. And you can add the Falcons to that list. 
Jackson, we've closed the book on Black Monday while we are certainly not out of the woods of all the coaching turnover. Uh, we will have updates on the other side of it when these guys start or when these uh, spots start getting filled. Jackson, we got some playoff teams to talk about. We do. Let's kick it off in Baltimore. We got some late breaking news. Lamar Jackson is likely out for the wild card game. According to ESPN's Adam Schefter, it was sort of an expected thing, but this likely officially confirms it. Jackson has missed practice again. It's been 38 days and five games removed from his initial his initial PCL sprain. Things are looking dire. For the I would have to agree. <laughs> I would have to agree with that assessment. Uh, old Hetty in our YouTube comment section is asking, who's winning it all this year in your guys' opinion? Uh, I think we can rule out the Ravens if Lamar Jackson is not playing in this game. Uh, maybe we can come back to that question at the end. I, I know that we in the past have shared opinions on who wins the Super Bowl, but we'll just uh, – Keep that spoiler in our back pocket for the end of the show. But the Ravens have just been two different teams with and without Lamar Jackson this year. Like night and day, more so than any other team, any other player. Uh, Shout out to the head honcho Aaron Schatz for tweeting this out on Monday. Baltimore's offensive DVOA with Lamar Jackson as the starter, 15.9%, fourth in the NFL. Without him, negative 11.5%, 23rd in the NFL. It's the team that's scoring a little over 12 points per game uh, with Tyler Huntley slash, um, gosh, who even started for them last week? Bad journalism, but I've already Anthony Brown, there we go. Um, you assume that in order for them to be at all competitive in this game, it has to be Huntley, but you never know. Um, yeah, like this is really going to kick off a fascinating season or offseason of Lamar Jackson speculation uh, because, you know, if, if this was really like a bad injury and he was never able to recover from it, then I certainly understand that. But could there be an element of, I don't want to risk my body for this team, this group of wide receivers. Be hard to blame him if that was there. I, I wish I remembered the report uh, of someone who had, uh, it was a guy talking about a player with regards to Lamar Jackson's situation who basically said, uh, I tore my PCL in week, or I sprained my PCL in week one. I only came back because my team is in the playoffs. I wouldn't be able to play otherwise, and I'd want a full off season of recovery. So even the vert, like if Lamar rushed his comeback and forced it, there's probably a likelihood that you're you're not even getting like a a player worth playing, for lack of a better term. Uh, to fit into that uh, into that team. Jackson, speaking of impact players uh, who are night and day comparisons with and without them on the field, the Baltimore Ravens have announced a five-year, $100 million extension for linebacker Roquan Smith. It's a 20 mil year deal. It's the highest ever for an inside linebacker and the first time an off-ball linebacker has crossed the $20 million threshold. Gets into some very interesting territory when you think about, like you kind of gave the Lamar, non-Lamar splits. You can cut Baltimore's season pretty much in half 
with when they picked up Roquan Smith and when they didn't have Roquan Smith. Before, weeks one through eight, 15th in the league with a 1.3 defensive DVOA, 22nd in defensive rushing DVOA. Weeks nine through 18, third best in the league, negative 16.5% defensive DVOA, second best in the league in rushing, negative 30.6. It's a lot of money, but it's a great ad for Baltimore, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, these guys cost what they cost. Roquan Smith's a baller. He, in my on my personal ballot, is a first-team All-Pro, and those guys deserve to get paid like that. He tied Bobby Wagner for most total points saved per Sports Info Solutions among all linebackers this season. Set a career high in tackles, which, you know, it's maybe a bit of a boomer stat, but, you know, you tackle somebody, they don't score on the play, so it matters. got to get a guy down. <laughs> yeah, he can't He can't just keep running. Hey, uh, Patriots, special teams, listen to that. If you, if you tackle a guy, he doesn't score a touchdown. Uh, yeah, I think, I think this is good news, and obviously the Lamar news steps on it a little bit, but the Ravens are building – a sustainable, younger, uh, you know, like they, they were so disappointed from what they had gotten of the off-ball linebacker position the past couple of years and Patrick Queen not performing up to the first-round standards. This is a guy that's performed up to every standard and then some uh, and certainly deserves the compensation that he's getting. Absolutely. Let's move on to Los Angeles, where we've got some guys recovering from injury. Rayshon Slater has been activated in the 21-day window to return to practice. However, he is out Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Georgia's are in a very interesting position because they played their guys week 18, and they played them a little too long. Mike Williams had to be helped, on the, helped off the field with alleged back spasms, but also couldn't walk to the bus after the game. Uh... Joey Bosa, who had just returned from injury, all or uh, had just returned from injury, also back with injury. Let's stick with Slater though, because this team could get healthier if they get past Jacksonville in the wild card round. Tours bicep tendon in week three, surprisingly, also against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's been ruled out sick uh, since. Jamari Saylor has been an interesting fill-in, doing a little bit of help in there, but not nearly as impactful as Slater has been for this team. No, sir. Uh, Slater, Slater, you know, when you make all pro in your first year in the league, that earns you a rep pretty quick as a left tackle not to be messed with. And if they get him back, that's a game changer. Uh, there's, you know, a slight discrepancy in terms of the blown block rate stats, in terms of the total points earned stats. Uh, between Jamari Salyer and Slater. And all that adds up over the course of the season. Uh, you know, Chargers as a team are ninth in adjusted sack rate, which is pretty good. 26th in adjusted line yards. So not really moving the pile on those rushing, you know, short yardage situations. We've bemoaned not only Chargers play calling, but Chargers inability to get a push on fourth and short all year long. Uh, and potentially the return of Slater could have a big impact on that if, as you said, they're able to get past the Jags. Let's move on to Miami, where we know one person who will not be paying quarterback this weekend, Tua Tungavailoa, officially ruled out of the contest this weekend against the Buffalo Bills. Team is preparing to start Skyler Thompson-Jackson. That they are. Uh, that. It stinks because you saw what Miami can be 
when to is healthy all year long, but given everything we know about the danger of repeat head trauma and, you know, multiplying concussions, having bigger and bigger impacts, this is undoubtedly the move that needed to happen. Uh, it does make this game between Buffalo and Miami a whole lot less watchable, uh, a game that I think both of us were picking Buffalo to win anyway. Now we're sort of just anticipating a little bit of a slaughter here. Uh, but in terms of the long-term future of Tua, you know, whether or not Skylar Thompson is able to pull off the greatest first-round playoff upset of all time or not, uh, it's it's got to be better to be heading into an offseason with the chance to get healthy and uh, you know, see where the career goes from there. But number one thing is just we we do not want to see another concussion, especially this soon. And I am personally glad uh, that he's, you know, abstaining from trying to take part in this contest. Well, he wasn't cleared, so it wasn't really up to him. Dolphins will also likely be without running back Raheem Mostert, who broke his thumb and underwent surgery on Monday. Like Daniel says, it's hard to imagine him coming back, but quote i'd never put anything past raheem mostert jackson let's end on a positive note please last week was a pretty somber show focused a lot on the you know obvious tragedy at hand with hamlin the scary sight on monday night jackson we've got great news officially moving back to buffalo not discharged from the hospital, but released to go back home and get some additional tests done. Was flown from Cincinnati to Buffalo on Monday, where he was admitted to the Buffalo General Medical Center. Hamlin, all smiles. The photos out of him have been fantastic. Has been live tweeting most of the games. In addition, there's been a bit of a workaround. Not workaround, but an agreement between the Bills and the NFLPA and the NFL, that if there were <coughs> any potential long-lasting damage that would make him unable to continue a football career, they'd be able to pay out most of his contract, which is not a guarantee for most NFL players. Well, the point has rightfully been made that near tragedy needed to occur just for a team to do the right thing in terms of fulfilling this clause. But yeah, Lamar Hamlin's contract complaint uh, contains the standard split clause where if he goes on IR, the bills pay him at a massively downsized rate of $455,000 per year instead of the 825K rate that is written in on paper. Uh, so for every week that he's on IR, that just means basically another 20K out of his pocket. So you know, kudos, I guess, is the word for the Bills for doing the right thing, but more teams should adopt this policy and it shouldn't take, you know, cardiac arrest and uh, harrowing near-death situations in order to to do the right thing and pay these guys out that risk, you know, life and limb week in, week out for these teams to try and win games. But returning to the positive side, like you said, our show was so somber last week and really just not much that we knew about Hamlin at the time. Uh, you know, the phrase mentally intact was starting to come about, and that was good news in a sense, but we still had no idea uh, really what the long-term implications were going to be. Uh, and the news that not only were there no underlying conditions, uh, but the fact that we're seeing him release this quickly from the hospital, um, everyone who's done interviews on the subject has said, like, we didn't expect it to be this positive this quickly. 
we're overjoyed with the results. Uh, seeing his smiling face all over the internet has been just a, a real breath of fresh air. Uh, and, you know, there's other good news around the Bills too. Micah Hyde, his practice window just recently opened. Same with veteran wide receiver Jamison Crowder. Uh, you know, obviously you're not getting either of those guys this weekend, but um, as has been pointed out, uh, DeMar Hamlin, you know, was filling in for Micah Hyde. Could be a big loss at the safety position for them in the playoffs. If Micah Hyde's able to come back, that's massive. Uh, and this is a team that is playing with all sorts of momentum right now, not just in terms of, you know, the X's and O's on the football field, but this news I think is, you know, really contributing a lot to the psyche of this team and, and is giving them more to play for than just, you know, the pressure of winning a trophy. Certainly. I, I mean, you watch the joy in that, uh, in that ball, uh, obviously Baltimore, mm-hmm. and Buffalo New England game. Uh, the, pre- the photos and practice coming out Thursday before this is a, uh, this is a team that's playing motivated, and it's it's a really, really, really cool thing to see. Yeah, and just to close the loop, Kale, our, our comments are asking, you know, who's our Super Bowl pick? Can we trust Buffalo in the Super Bowl? Um, you know, I you see the, the the old school Gronk jersey behind me. I am I am a Patriots fan by nature, and I am not doing this out of any sort of uh, certainly not out of any sort of bias. But uh, I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl at the start of the season. I'm sticking by it, uh, and I think that the way they're playing right now, there there seems to be more in their corner than just good football play, and that does not hurt going into the playoffs. I think they're they're trying to win this for one guy in particular, um, and we're really grateful of how news that how good the news around that guy has been this week. Yeah, no, same boat here. Got to ride with him. Uh, that same uh, Matt Ryan. Uh, 2022 season preview article that I had mentioned had me picking the Buffalo Bills over the Los Angeles Rams. So I'm half, I could be halfway right. Uh, (laughs) I picked the Niners, so I'm still alive and I'm sticking with that. Uh, Bills over Niners is my Super Bowl. Gotta ride with my guys, but that'll do it for us today here at the FO News Show. Gotta, as always, thank our friends at Underdog Fantasy. And guess what, Jackson? Listen, regular season's over. Fantasy playoffs are over. But that doesn't mean the fantasy football's over because it's best ball mania time, Jackson. Do you know these prizes? You could, first off, I got to say, you could double your deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. As always, that's the standard deal for us. Double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Got to say that. The new news. Best Ball Mania, Jackson. Chance to win a portion of a $1 million prize pool. First place, $200,000. Second place, $100,000. Jackson, let's say you're not that great at fantasy football. Let's, <laughs> let's say, you know, I'm not, vying. I'm not vying for that $200,000 spot. I'm not going to finish top 10. If I finish 10th, I could still win four grand. Jackson, there's forty, there's forty three point two thousand entrants in Best Ball Mania right now. The twenty five dollar entry fee. You come in seven thousandth and two hundredth place. You get fifty bucks. You double your money. You got to finish twentieth, like, like just over twentieth percentile. Like you can do that. That's doable. We can get there. 
Good. Yeah, actually, we just picked our uh, our playoff teams for uh, among the staff. It'll be listen. If I if I just throw my team in there, I think we I think we got it locked in. Wow, Kale's uh, Kale's fantasy out. fantasy playoff team features the noteworthy accomplishment of uh, not having two skill players or a quarterback from the same team, including some that face each other in the first round. So we'll see how that works out for him. Eh. I get it. Burning the candle at all ends. That'll do it for us here on the FO News Show. You catch us every week this playoff run, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Don't, for, uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Don't forget to check us out. What? Why are you pausing, Jackson? Oh, I'm saying do it. That's that's my. Oh, you I thought you were like, hold on one sec. I thought you had one more. Do you want to talk about getting on the Discord, maybe? <laughs> uh, you should get in the Discord. We talk about that every week, but why not do it? Just go talk to the lovely personalities of football outsiders, such as Vince Fairhigh, such as Mike Tanier, such as the the man in charge himself, Aaron Schatz, Kale Clinton, right there, uh, Brian Knowles, all the boys. Hop in there, talk football all weekend long, all playoffs long. Fo Discord, get active. FootballOutsiders.com slash subscribe as well. $5 a month will get you all the premium statistics, all the premium articles, betting info, fantasy info, whole bunch of stuff. You get the full archive, about two decades of Almanac. Jackson, for you, I'm me. We'll see you next week. Peace out.